Book Guys show is brought to you by Audible. Go to bookguys.ca slash audible and get a free book just for signing up for a free trial. This is The Book Guys Show, episode 32. My name is Paul, The Book Guy Alves, and I am joined this week by Jim, The Book Guy Phillips. Good evening, everyone. How y'all doing out there? Buenos dias, senor. And uh, Sir Jimmy. Greetings from one hour in the future. That's right. (laughs) And joining us today, Nancy Nagel from nancynagel.com. Hey, guys. How you doing, Nancy? Doing great from down here in Virginia. Down in Virginia. So we're Virginia, North Carolina, San Diego, Toronto. We're just all over the place. Nancy, this is uh, uh, Sir Jimmy here in North Carolina. Now, I am actually south of you. Why does it sound like you're south of me? (laughs) I'm just kidding. It does kind of sound that way, doesn't it? (laughs) Well, you know, I grew up in West Virginia about an hour from Pittsburgh, so people... You know, come up and say, "Hey, it doesn't sound like you have an accent at all." But uh, I, I do enjoy uh, the Southern drawl. I like our variety of accents. You know, people who actually can figure out who's who. You ever listen to a podcast where everyone sounds the same? It's just not enjoyable. <laughs> well, if I start sounding like you, somebody better let me know. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> now, now, gentlemen, well, ladies and gentlemen, we were talking. Uh, I was talking last week about Adam Wilson, uh, the book uh, Flat Screen. And uh, he is going to be joining us for a full episode on April 1st. Either that or he's pranking us. I'm not sure which. So it's one or the other. And uh, also last week, guys, we were talking about uh, Smashwords uh, and the, the whole PayPal controversy that's going on. And actually, if you go to bookguys.ca, and I think by now you have to scroll down a bit, uh, Smashwords has um, put out an official uh, statement on this. Uh, about this uh, debate firestorm and uh, either later today or next week, I'm going to be talking about the book unholy night by Seth Graham Smith, which I have determined uh, you cannot buy with PayPal or with a credit card. It would be uh, a book non grata under the uh, PayPal's new uh, term of service as would. I also looked into it, the Bible. So there's two books that you could not buy using PayPal with their new, um, statement as far as content could you buy it if they were hollowed out you'd yeah you'd have to hollow out a lot of the uh sections from the bible all right <laughs> then you then they could probably sell it i can't have them messing with my business model yes <laughs> and we were going to have cassandra nissan today but i think we're having a uh, a skype day uh we are having one of those days where just uh skype is not cooperating and hopefully she'll pop in uh, if you hear a lady pop in the middle of the episode and say, hey, guys, what's going on? That's uh, Cassandra popping into Skype. And uh, this week, uh, Mr. Jim Phillips, I believe you read a book in this genre. Fiction. 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 And when you hear me speaking kind of like Captain Kirk, it's because I'm stalling because I'm trying to find the jingle. <laughs> <laughs> it's all live, folks. No editing. <laughs> so when you say fiction, you mean... You, you really mean nonfiction, of course. Oh, of course I do. Because you know what? Because see, the, this is what happened. Cassandra wasn't you, here. You, you hit me with the wrong zinger. I hit you with Cassandra's jingle there. Hang on, let's try that again. See, folks, this is all live. Nonfiction, nonfiction, nonfiction. There you go. 
Okay, now how much of that was the actual zinger, and how much of that was Sir Jimmy? Sir Jimmy, I, I like. I, actually, you know what, Sir Jimmy, stick around after the show. We're going to mix that together. That was pretty cool. <laughs> they call Did me Sir Mix that? a lot. <laughs> uh, yes. Anyway, <laughs> wait. Is there a book here somewhere? There's uh, a book here somewhere. <laughs> Uh, yes, I finished uh, Lords of the Sea uh, by John R. Hale. Uh, it's a nonfiction, as, of course, the jingle has just told us. Um, the subtitle, of course, uh, pretty much tells you just about everything you would want to know. The epic, of course it's epic, story of the Athenian Navy and the birth of democracy. Um, basically, John Hale uh, takes us uh, through the history of the Athenian Navy and its uh, glory years from uh, about 480 BC, uh, when the navy was first formed, through um, into the second century BC, when they were um, finally defeated uh, by the Macedonians, uh, and uh, kind of all the ups and downs, and uh, some of the personalities. It really focuses more on the naval battles. Right. Uh, it's it's definitely a good book. It's worth reading. Uh, especially if you enjoy history, it's you know kind of interesting to see uh, now, now all Jim, the ins and outs and details of what went on. But uh, what, there is there is some stuff missing. You know, it, it okay. doesn't go enough into uh, you know sort of the personalities and kind of you know why did this happen? And it kind of skips around a little bit. And uh, he, he posits at the beginning and kind of his thesis for the whole for the whole book is saying that you know that the uh, Athenian democracy, and of course. You know, Athens is kind of famous for, you know, founding yeah, you know, for the seeds know of what it, yeah. is you know modern Western democracy. And his thesis at the beginning is that that focus on democracy is really because of the navy, because Athens was a naval power and not a land power. Unfortunately, I don't really think he backs that up um, much or at all. He just kind of throws it out there and leaves it and. You know, you can believe it or not, uh, as you as you wish. Now, now, would the would the Athenian navy not have been the first uh, major superpower on the seas? Oh no, 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 not at all. Okay. Uh, in fact, in fact, there the the first uh, major battle that the Athenians fought was against the Persians when the Persians were invading. Ah, yes, yes. Um, you know, famous, of course, for you know, most famous today for the Battle of Marathon and, of course, the Battle at uh, Thermopylae. You know, the whole three hundred story and all that. Yes. You know, but the Athen- you know, the Persians at that time had thousands and thousands of ships. So, now, I mean, they w- they weren't the first, and they certainly weren't the last. But you know, they were the they were the first that were really connected to democracy. I guess you could say, and okay. you know, certainly the first uh, in Greece. But it's really kind of interesting to watch the rise and fall of the fortunes of Athens as they, you know, kind of scratch themselves up and. You know, fight off some intruder, whether it's the Persians or, you know, the um, when they're fighting off the Spartans later, and again the Persians again later, and kind of all the uh, alliances going back and forth, and as the um, <clears throat> the fortunes of the city kind of rise, and they if become a little too big for their britches, if they will, and overstep themselves and get conquered themselves, and then crawl back up again, and this cycle kind of good, this you know cycle kind of continues over the course of a few hundred years, and it's kind of interesting just to put that all together and watch it play out. Now, uh, j- just from the little clip I, I, I heard on, I, I took a listen on Audible. Um, uh, he, he's done some serious research uh, in in writing this book. I mean, he's something like seven years. Yeah, 
Yeah, this is. Yeah, he didn't just throw this together. He, uh, uh, he, I think he 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 mentions in the introduction the you know the seeds of this came about came about from a suggestion he had from um, another historian. You know, ten or twelve years before he even thought about starting to write the book, and then you know he started to write it and did all the research and um, you know went on a lot of the uh, on a number of you know archaeological explorations. Uh, in the Aegean and the uh, Black Sea and right. so forth. and um, So, yeah, definitely recommend it if you enjoy your history. It's uh, worth taking a look at. Can we uh, play a little clip so people can get a little taste here? I was hoping you would do just that. There we go. Digging at an ancient villa in Portugal, I saw Roman mosaics depicting the mythical hero Theseus, legendary slayer of the Minotaur and founder of the Athenian navy. Surveying the site of the Delphic Oracle in Greece, the dark tunnels through which I squeezed brought me close to the spot where the famous Wooden Wall Oracle had been pronounced, the cryptic prophecy that foreshadowed the rise of the Athenian naval power and the Greek victory over the Persian Armada at Salamis. Lecturing in Finland, I encountered modern Vikings who seemed to have reinvented ancient Greek rowing technique, complete with rowing pads. They had matched the legendary feats of Athenian triremes by crossing the Baltic Sea in a single day at, yes, an average speed of ten knots. Nothing might have come of these sporadic reminders had it not been, again, for Don Kagan. In the spring of 2000, he invited me to lecture with him on the subject of great battles of antiquity during a Yale alumni cruise. Kagan tackled the land battles when we went on shore at Marathon, Thermopylae, or Sparta, recreating his unforgettable classroom drills. I recounted the naval battles on the deck of the Clelia II as we voyaged through the home waters of the Athenian navy, cruising through the straits at Salamis, passing the Sibota Islands near Corfu, site of the battle that precipitated the Peloponnesian War, and forging at sunrise up the Hellespont, the strategic waterway that Athens once had expended so many men and ships in order to control. On the long flight back home, I told Kagan that he should do the world a favor and publish his history of the Peloponnesian War in a version for the general reader. The suggestion bore fruit for both of us. Some months later, I received the message that led to the writing of this book. It came from Wendy Wolfe, editor at Viking Penguin in New York. We are going to publish Don Kagan's The Peloponnesian War. He says that we should also publish a book on the ancient Athenian navy and that you are the man to write it. Are you interested? I think it could be a blast. Yes, I was interested. I had been interested for over 30 years. But if by blast, Wolf envisioned something rocket-like and soon over, she was sadly misled. At a meeting in August 2001, I assured her that the research was complete and that I could finish the book within a year. Wolf prudently recommended that I plan on two. In the event, she had to wait for seven years. It seemed that the more I looked, the more there was to learn. So, so this guy went to every battle um, zone and actually walked around and took a look at all this. Pretty interesting. Yep. Yeah, he he definitely did his research, and it it shows. He's a he's a pretty good writer, and it's it's in it's engaging. Uh, like I say, there's you know you'll you'll be left wanting more because I think he leaves a lot of stuff out that kind of goes. Well, wait a second. What about this? What about this? What about this? Which 
know, in, in some respects, you can say it's a, you know, it's it's a little it's a weakness. But on the other hand, if 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 there's a sequel coming someday, <laughs> then uh, it's something we could look forward to. Yeah, and uh, just a, a little thing uh, there at the beginning was talking about the the Portuguese uh, uh, ports, and and I've no I've seen. Uh, like Greek uh, statues in Portuguese ports before, and uh, you know, like uh, odes to you know the old uh, Greco-Roman gods and whatnot. So uh, yeah, there still still exists to this day, uh, you know, a little bit of historical connection even in the Portuguese ports from this Athenian navy. Certainly, very interesting. Now, Jim, are you into uh, historical fiction? That kind, of, and not historical fiction, but uh, <laughs> uh, historical books, military history, that kind of thing. Uh, that's why I read it, yeah. Yeah, excellent. Excellent. Uh, Sir Jimmy, what have you been reading this week? Anything new happening? Well, actually, something kind of old has been happening. I I, uh, I had a book that I announced on the last show was gonna, I was going to read, and I happened into the uh, used bookstore at this little place up in Virginia, and I saw a book I've been waiting to see, and probably going to be kind of hard to find in hardcover, but I found a paperback copy of The Old Man and the Sea. Oh, nice. It ties in here. Yeah, it was, it's actually one of my top five all-time favorite books. When uh, I was in high school as a sophomore, I had a, a persnickety teacher who took me to the principal's office and uh, accused me of plagiarizing a book report on The Old Man and the Sea. Yeah. Uh, I think this is about the time that uh, Cliff's Notes had become popular. Yes. <laughs> Even though I grew up in West Virginia, you couldn't buy Cliff's Notes anywhere 40 miles from where I lived. Um, I was accused of, I guess, plagiarizing the book report because it was a little too insightful, she said. And oh. I was uh, I was upset but excited about the opportunity to defend myself in front of two other teachers besides her and the principal. And we went in, and I was asked some questions about it. And uh, I guess that my my little interview was so successful, I found myself the very next week in the advanced English class with three other people. All right. <laughs> and uh, that, that began my love of books from that day. There you go. You got sequestered, eh? Yes, I did. <laughs> um, I guess. These are your new three friends. <laughs> and, and reading the book again was very interesting. And of course, it hadn't changed at all. But you know, looking at it now as a nearly forty-year-old man and having been a fourteen-year-old kid reading it, it's a very different perception of it. Having become a fisherman myself in that time, and and having aged, looked at it very differently. And yeah. you know, back then I looked at it as a very hopeful type of book, and this time it was. It was a little bit sad. Um, yeah, it's, you know, you come back and, and you read something you read in childhood and you have a whole new perspective on it. You know, you, you take a look at it and, well, like uh, even Greg uh, many episodes ago uh, said he tried to reread, uh, it was the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and he just picked it up and, you know, a couple of chapters in said, meh, not for me. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's and, funny. And, yeah, I, you get a different you know, perspective and a different time in your life kind of thing. And, you know, just a little bit into the book, some of it started coming back. I totally forgot. Well, it's, it's, a, it's a book set on um, in the Caribbean, um, a little island community where there's this, this fisherman who is well past his prime. Um, I, I suppose 
you know, at least in my perception that the guy is in his late 60s, maybe even the 70s, and he's going out every day uh, fishing in a little wooden boat, right? Uh, fishing for um, just to make a living. He lives in a little wooden shack, no electricity, you know, barely has money for a candle, goes many days without even eating, and uh, just continues on. All the, the fishermen in the village, have, are, he's become the laughing stock of the town. And he has this young boy who has uh, befriended him, who he's taught quite a bit. And uh, even this young boy's father, who knows that his life uh, going forward is going to be as a fisherman, has uh, come to the point where he doesn't even want him to have anything to do with this old man because they think he's cursed. He's just unlucky. He can't right. catch any fish. So um, one day this, the old man sets out. And he's fishing all day, and he's dropping his lines, and he catches a hold of a giant fish. And it sets him off on an adventure that lasts days. Um, he's used to coming in every night, doesn't even pack food to take with him, not that he has any to take. Right. He has a, nothing but a bottle of water, and this fish drags him out to sea. And he's gone for days <laughs> fighting this fish, which just continues on and on and on. And it turns out it's a, it's a giant marlin that is uh, bigger than the boat that he's even in. And he, he fights it, and uh, he's you know succumbing to lack of food, lack of sleep. And eventually he's, uh, he's able to land the fish, brings it in, and on his way back to bring the fish, um, he's so far out to sea, uh, his tiny little sail carries him so slowly that at the point he's coming back in, um, Sharks come in and destroy his catch. And slowly, by the time he gets back, there's nothing left of the fish but just a bony skeleton. And, yeah. I mean, it's a very simple story, but it makes you wonder, you know, why did a guy even write a book with such a simple story? And I guess it goes back to high school. I was wondering, you know, it's not much of a story. There's got to be more to it. So I started thinking about it. Yeah, and, you know, and, and some of the sim simpler stories are the ones that really make you think, you know. Yeah, it's a tale of, uh, I guess, humility. Um, this guy's very appreciative for everything that he has. He, you know, he looks at every day as a gift at that point, and you know, he's he's thankful for it, and he's wondering why, why, why has this happened to me? Um, he ends up with nothing, I guess, but a story and a skeleton. When he comes back to town, people are amazed. And uh, they're like, this is the biggest fish anybody's ever seen. And, and they can tell just from what's left of it. Right. You know, uh, I guess it. if there was ever a sequel to a book, it probably uh, would show that, that his fortunes had changed. And I would assume the next time he went out fishing, he wouldn't have such bad luck. But it just, uh, I don't know. It just gives you a different perspective on things that uh, when you think things are as bad as they could ever possibly be, they could always get a little worse. <laughs> so be thankful for every day that you have. <laughs> you know, I wasn't thankful for my day today because I'm just feeling so ill, but you know what? It could maybe get worse. <laughs> so, <laughs> Well, sir, Jimmy, I've got to know, do you still have that old book report? No, I do not. All those things oh. have been lost to time. You know that, that and I really, I, I once I started reading the book, I was trying to think of the things that I said in the report that were so insightful. And I'm sure yeah. that the the short the tiny synopsis I've just given of the book 
uh, pales in comparison to the thoughts I had back then. It would be wonderful to have that, but unfortunately, yeah. no. Sir Jimmy probably hollowed it out by now. Oh, I did. I sold that years ago. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope you keep this one intact. <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm going to keep this one as just a reminder. Very good. <laughs> you know, um, you're speaking about the short story and, uh, you know, having sometimes having the greatest meaning. Uh, have, have any of you either uh, read any flash fiction? And, you know, they're usually just a couple sentences. Some of those are really interesting. And maybe uh, we should bring some of those to the table eventually. Bring them here, uh, some links for the people. Put some links in the, on the website. And, uh, yeah, I've, I've heard of it, but I've never read it. I'd love to be a part of that. That sounds like fun. Yeah, and, and, and you know, usually just a couple sentences long. and, and Or, you know, it's almost like trying to write a, a chapter in a tweet <laughs> kind of thing. Mm, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's uh, probably a lot more difficult to write than uh, you know having uh, free reign of the size of your of your work. You know, if you're yeah. constricted by you know uh, x amount of sentences then or x amount of characters, then uh, usually you have to be more frugal with your language, and uh, uh, sometimes it works. And there's a few good podcasts floating around you can find that occasionally publish some uh, flash fiction work. Ah, spe- speaking of podcasts, my friend. Since you said it. Podcasts. Ah. Is that new? That is new. Mr. Jeff Smith has been a a busy man this weekend. Very nice. I like him. (laughs) I'm I'm told he is currently, as as we speak right now, um, he is somewhere in a secret location. Could be a bad cave. I'm not sure. Listening to the book guys. Could be an island. He's listening to the book guys and uh, working on uh, something special that we might be introducing next week. Ooh, teaser. Teaser. Yeah, I can't wait. (laughs) It's coming. So uh, (laughs) podcasts. Um, Here's one that I found recently. Now, I I know most of you are familiar with Adam Carolla and who is now making his fortunes as uh, the number one podcaster in the universe. Uh, And I believe he is now ace Ace Productions, Ace Industries, I'm not sure what he exactly, Ace, the Ace Network, uh, Adam Crowley Enterprises is, I believe, the what the acronym stands for, and uh, he's gotten uh, Penn Gillette on board, and uh, Penn does a show uh, every Sunday now called Penn's Sunday School, and, uh, you know, just because Adam Crowley has been a celebrity for 18 years, uh, and, and a lot of the celebrities that he now knows have been celebrities for so long, they've got access to some interesting phone books. And that's kind of what makes Penn's Sunday school interesting. Uh, like on the last episode he had, uh, well, Alf, Adam Carolla was there, uh, Penn Gillette from Penn and Teller, who is the host. And, uh, he had Arsenio Hall on, you know, how so, fun. It's the celebrity apprentice crew, right? That's right. <laughs> so, so, you know, some of these celebrities, you wonder well, what the hell ever happened to Arsenio Hall? What's he doing? You know, yeah. it, it was uh, fun uh, just to listen. Uh, I believe that one was about an hour and a half, just, uh, catching up with Arsenio and, uh, uh, yeah. Penn Sunday school, lots of fun. Uh, another Adam Carolla production and, uh, you know, is Adam Carolla even doing anything on television anymore? Is he, is he still doing anything other than podcasting? It sounds like he's kind of uh, gone away from you know the mainstream media, the large companies, and just doing his own thing. I think well, he's, he's on enjoying... Celebrity. <laughs> Sorry. <Go ahead. laughs> oh no, no. Go ahead. I was going to say he's on Celebrity Apprentice as we speak. 
<laughs> ah, there you go. Yes. Oh, yeah. Were all three of them on the uh, Celebrity Apprentice? Yeah. Yeah, they're all three on this this uh, this edition of Celebrity oh, okay. Apprentice. Okay, because I heard them. Right now, as we talk. I, I heard them. Yeah, no one's watching that, though. They're all listening to the book. Guys, so. No, they're all listening to us. They're just watching that. They're, they're, they're TiVoing us. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, I heard them mention it on the, on the podcast, but I thought it was just uh, Arsenio and Adam. I didn't know that Penn Gillette was also there. Yeah, Penn's on as well. Interesting character. Um, so yeah, the, is Adam Carolla still have a show at all? Like other than being on Celebrity Apprentice, does he have anything of his own? That's I, I know his former partner in the Man Show is uh, still grooving. What's his name? Um, help me out here, boys. <laughs> James, Jim, Jimmy Kimmel. Um, Jimmy Kimmel. That's it. Yeah, Jimmy Kimmel still has his uh, late night show on. He's been going at it for what five years now. Girls on trampolines that made him famous. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, and doesn't Adam Carolla have a, a home uh, renovation show? Yes, on- yes. Actually, before yeah. he, before yeah, before he uh, became famous for the, I believe he did. He not become famous for the Man Show with uh, Kimmel. I think that's where they got their start, pretty much. I think that's where they started. Yeah. Yeah. He he was uh, doing drywall. That was his job. So mm-hmm. he was uh, he is uh, now another of these officially uh, uh, celebrity uh, you know home wreckers. <laughs> yeah, DIY. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. And I have a quick clip here from Penn Sunday School. And we'll, let's catch up with Arsenio. Welcome to Penn Sunday School, starring Penn Gillette. We have a special episode this week. We're talking to Adam Carolla. We're talking to Arsenio Hall. And now your host, Mr. Penn Gillette. This is Penn Sunday School. Do you like, you like that uh, hymn, Arsenio? Uh, it, it was close to gospel. Not quite gospel, but close to gospel. <laughs> now, that, that's I'm, my favorite hymn. That's, this is my father's world. Now, I don't know what, uh, what brand of Christianity you were brought up in, but what church <laughs> did you go to? Let's put it like this. See the visuals on that screen behind you? I'm really familiar with that. What, what brand is that? <laughs> I mean, were you, were you Baptist? I'm a Baptist in, uh-huh. preacher's son. Oh, preachers? Yeah. Your son was a preacher? I'm a PK. There you go. There you go. The only one who could ever reach me, and Adam Carolla. Yeah. So on the, uh, on the big show, uh, veterans of Celebrity it Apprentice. It is great to be back in my studio. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm working on Adam's farm. You know, uh, Bob Dylan worked on Maggie's farm. I'm working on Adam's farm. We have this kind of um, uh, incestuous thing going on where I did your show, then you're doing my show. It's very nice. I, now, Arsenio, when he had a show, mm-hmm. he had a real proper studio and people going woof, woof, woof. Yes, and I had you on that yeah, show. Yeah, I had your partner, and, and I never got the pleasure of having Adam there. I wasn't a celebrity. Oh, yeah. You, I just watched as a you, civilian. Did you need your sheet wall fixed or something? He was, he was a football player in the Valley then, sheet probably. Sheet rock. Thank you. Sheet rock. No, I what was... What uh, Sheet wall? Close enough. Yeah. You, you, took, you took drywall and... Sheet rock. It'd be like if you took Captain Crunch and Grape Nuts and made a, made a cereal called Captain Nuts. Uh, that's what, essentially what you did. And I would buy Captain Nuts. I would. I would. Captain Nuts. But that sheet good. wall, I'm not messing with that. Yeah. Sheet wall, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, I... I used to watch. Well, you know the thing that's weird is um, I would I knew both of you as yes. celebrities long before you'd known me. I'd seen you on Letterman. I'd seen you on Arsenio's show. Arsenio had seen on Arsenio's show, obviously. So I just sat around my you know crappy you know series of rented apartments when I was swinging a hammer <laughs> and hanging the sheet wall for a living, <laughs> and I would watch you guys on TV. So it's sort of uh, semi surreal. 
for me, even though I'm not a brand new celebrity. I don't know what it's like for the people who've been in it for 10 minutes, but even even me who's been in it for 15, 18 years, I still feel like the new guy. You know, I was talking sometimes. when I was leaving with, uh, with with Glenn. We were driving. We were driving back up doing your show last night, and I said, "You know, you know, I really like how kind of like a, a real guy Adam is. You know, because and 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 Glenn said he's been full time show business for fifteen years. <laughs> yes. He is not a working guy. He's not <laughs> a ham and egger. He is a showbiz celebrity. But he feels and like he, he feels like the ham and egger, though, doesn't he? he, he <laughs> He's lying about it. Well, He's no, I'm not right, because I'm how, always building how, how something. How many cars do you have? I have two. Okay, 25. Wow. 25 cars. <laughs> he has Paul Newman's car. He has up. Ferraris. He, technically, he has everything. He technically is a Leno with that many cars. Absolutely. He has He has an order of magnitude more cars than you do. Yes. An order of magnitude more cars. And by the way, yes. when I drive up any place he's at, he always makes me feel bad about what I'm driving. What do you drive? Oh, please. Well, the B, one time I drove up with a BMW, and he went into this whole rant about how horrible the trade-in was going to be because I had done a lot of aftermarket things, and he was so right. My you, business manager was so mad. Hold on. Are you sitting aftermarket? down, Penn? Black guy put rims on his car. <laughs> <laughs> are, you, are you okay? You want to take a moment? So there you go. Love it. Love it. Pendulette. You, know, you got to be into Pendulette or not into Pendulette. Uh, Sir Jim, uh, Jim Phillips, not into Pendulette. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't mind. I don't mind. I'm going to be a little negative here, so step back. I, I don't mind Pendulette. He's, you know, I, I enjoy the, I enjoy their show. I've seen it plenty of times in Vegas. Um, I just, I can do without a bunch of celebrities sitting around talking about how great it is to be a celebrity. Yeah, you know that did you know, get I can, a little. I can live without that. <laughs> that did get a little bit. Well, he's not a ham and egger. Yeah, ham and egger. Yeah, it was a little douchebaggy. I got to admit. <laughs> uh, talking about us common folk like that. Yeah, that ain't yeah. right. Civilians, it's those civilians. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so we, I'm going to pass on that one, but uh, you know, everyone else go out and uh, check it out. I suppose. Yeah, give us a book report when you're done. Uh, I think I'm going to listen to uh, Teller's podcast. It's a lot easier to listen to. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you're so bad. <laughs> now, personally, I really enjoyed it. I liked every second of that podcast. <laughs> so we've got it all. <laughs> I think I, I've actually heard Teller speak once, and it was uh, really. Yeah, it was in uh, before he was doing the show with him. I think there was a there was a movie clip of him uh, doing some extra work, or I'm not sure exactly what he was doing, but you know, it's got to be tough for him. Every time he's in public, he can't open his yap. <laughs> I'm the opposite. They can't get me to shut up. I was going to say, none of us would make that. <laughs> no, no, no. And uh, we're going to add another voice to the uh, to the mix here. I'm going to try to get uh, Mr. Greg in. Uh, and while I do that, let us uh, go to a promo. We'll be right back, folks. We're about halfway anyways. There you go. Oh, I'm sorry. Did I break your concentration? Hi. Now that I've got your attention, I'd like to tell you about a great little podcast. Tell me about it. Well, okay. It's called Seventh Row Center, and it's hosted by me, Alex the Movie Guy. I work for Kaiser Soze. Anyway, every week I get together with Weekly Animated's David Hickson. These men are the leaders of a terrorist organization wanted for the abduction of a little monkey. Well, no. We're movie opinionists who give our thoughts about films new and old. Once again, things that could have been brought to my attention yesterday! Check out our show. It's called Seventh Row Center, and it's part of the Bear Crawling Nation. Surely you hey, can't be is... serious. I am serious. 
and don't hey, this call is me Jeff Shirley. Smith, the guy who does all the jingles from thejeffsmith.com, and you're listening to Paul the Book Guy. Book Guys! We're just misfiring on all the jingles today. Uh, how's everybody doing? I'm doing good. Hey, there you go. Hello, Greg. Greg is joining us now. Greg the Book Guyot. Fresh Hello, from, uh, from Barrie. From Barrie, Ontario. Yeah. Are you there now? I am there. Ah, okay. So uh, what are you, are you on your iPhone? Uh, I am on my iPhone. You're interrupting uh, Storage Wars. Ah, <laughs> Come on. <laughs> we thought you'd yep. be. <laughs> oh, yep. I was going to do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> ah, good times. You know uh, what? I have nothing to contribute to this conversation other than uh, sarcasm and, and, and good humor. There you go. That's what we needed. We were so all nothing. out of uh, sarcasm oh. anyways. So nothing has really? changed. With both Jimmy's there? <laughs> uh, Nancy, you have a book this week, I believe. I do. And it is fiction. 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 Ew. <laughs> it's not a rhyme. <laughs> it is fiction. All right. <laughs> um, yeah, so I read Michael Palmer's Oath of Office, which is a thriller. And um, they kind of tag it as being a shocking new novel at the crossroads of politics and medicine. And if you've never read Michael Palmer, um, he's from up north, and he's a doctor, but he's written like 16 novels. And um, I had never read any of his books, but I had heard him speak on a panel at Crime Bake, and he was so intriguing that um, I, I couldn't resist picking up Oath of Office. And um, it's, it's really a, a very well-written book. It'll just take you on a ride. You won't be able to put the sucker down. Um, but it opens up with a, a very well-respected doctor who goes on a murderous rampage, shooting seven people and then turning the gun on himself. And he'd been going through some issues, um, but had been doing really well. And it's kind of the journey of, of figuring out why it happened. Um, the main character is a, another doctor, Dr. Lou Welcome. I love that name. Yeah. Welcome, Dr. Welcome. <laughs> That's who I want to go to. Dr. Welcome. Um, and he's got, you know, see, this will, it'll be interesting. Y'all We'll have to read this, and we'll have to get back together and talk about it, because one of the things I really loved about Dr. Lou Welcome was his relationship with his daughter, Emily, and his ex-wife, and um, the, the thoughts that go through his head as he starts getting into trouble, as he starts finding out some of the details that are behind this murderous rampage that Dr. Meacham had gone through. Um, it's a really mind-boggling, thought-provoking story about genetically in, um, engineered food and how it could just toss things on its ear. So I don't want to give it away because it really surprised me as I read it, um, but really awesome thriller. Nice. Yeah, you know what? I, I will probably join you on that one, and uh, we'll come back and talk about it. Um, actually, I, Robert Petkov is the uh, narrator. And uh, I've heard him before, and he is fantastic in uh, as far as narrating. So I, I'd probably listen to that one as an audio. And awesome. Well, I'd love to compare notes once you've read it, because from the girl's perspective, I bet the things that stand out most to me are probably different than the things that are going to stand out to you. <laughs> well, you know um, what? When, the, you know, when you a lot of gun shooting and, you know, 
termites and scary scenes in it. Right. <laughs> That'll keep all you guys on the edge of your seats, too. <laughs> so, um, yeah, when, when you mentioned that you had read Oath of Office, I, I took a look at the, uh, the, the Audible uh, preview on it. And, uh, yeah. yeah, wow, I was fascinated because it does start off right when the doctor is having uh, doing his thing at the beginning. <laughs> Not yeah. cool. So it really got you right into it. Now, I'm going to play that really quick, and uh, awesome. we'll be right back Thanks. with that. Everyone out there is a witness to what happened. They will all be called before the board. That would be the end. A lamb to the slaughter. I must do something to prevent them. I don't remember unlocking my desk drawer and bringing out my pistol. It's still in the locked box I put it in when Joe Perry's office was held up last year. Now it's here in my hand. I release the safety. Everyone out there in the waiting room will testify as to what they heard, and that's all it will take to finish me off. Nobody cares about my patience the way I do. Can't believe this happened. What choices do I have? How else can I save my career? My family? People heard. It would be their word against mine. He said, they said. The board would never pull a doctor's license on a flimsy claim like that especially one as dedicated to his patients as I am. Or would they? Must do what's fair. No witnesses. I open my office door and step out into the hallway. The fluorescent overhead lights are hurting my eyes. With the pistol hanging at my side, I head down the corridor into our newly furnished patient waiting area. My heart is pounding against my sternum. Blood is churning in my ears. The room has begun to spin. I wish there were another way. Two women are in the waiting area, Margaret Dempsey and Allison Roundtree. They both look disturbed by what they heard. I wonder if they're talking about just leaving, deserting my practice and transferring their records to another doctor, probably to my partner, Carl. Sunlight in the foyer is illuminating dust motes circling in the air. Small details, yet so clear. I double-check that I've got two additional clips tucked inside the pocket of my white coat. No witnesses! I cry out. Ashley is sitting behind the reception counter looking distressed. The new nurse, Crystal, is behind her. Ashley is thirty. Two kids. Her glasses hang over her breasts, suspended by a gold lanyard that sparkles against her tight-fitting black sweater. Details. There is no other way. I need to protect my career. For a moment, I feel uncertain, confused. Then my resolve returns. Must act before they see the gun. I raise it in front of me. I'm doing this for us, Carolyn. It's the only way to save the children, to save you and our way of life. Any doctor threatened like I am would handle things the same way. The first shot explodes in my ears. The gun recoils. I fire again and again and again. There is blood everywhere. Glass shatters. Ashley looks up at me wide-eyed. I shoot her in the forehead. She flies backwards and lands on top of Crystal. I feel calm now, in control. I'm a doctor and I always will be. I begged her to lose weight. I had every right to yell at her. In fact, I didn't even really yell, just raised my voice a little. I walk with determination back down the hallway and turn toward our tiny kitchen. Teresa and Camille are there. They were undoubtedly discussing what to do about me when they heard the shots. Now they are on their feet, screaming. 
No witnesses, I shout again and again. No witnesses! My office manager tries to speak, but I can't make out what she's saying. My finger tightens and loosens and tightens again. The pistol spits fire. Teresa is hit in the throat, Camille in the chest. The women crumble like rag dolls. Camille tries to get up. A shot to the back of her head settles her down. I replace the clip. Almost done. Yeah, you know, uh, that's one thing that it's hard to write. Like, how can you? It's writing the psycho killer with the psycho killer as the narrator. You really yeah, got to get yeah. into the mind of the the person, and I think he's doing it really yeah. well there. As the he calm does, psycho killer. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and he does a great yeah. job. There's a couple other scenes in the book with this irrational behavior, and um, it's Dr. Lou Welcome's job or, or his journey, I guess, to be able to uncover why these people are doing this stuff and, and acting so irrational and unexplainable. So, yeah, really intense. Very, very intense. And, folks, we have a new address where you can go to get a free trial. Uh, if you want to get an audiobook, it's audibletrial.com slash bookguys. And this week, I'm not going to forget, before we do the book news, we do have... The Think Geek Item of the Week from thinkgeek.com Now, we have a lot of listeners with time machines, so this one's going to be really handy for you. Uh, it's the uh, Time Traveler's Handbook. You can go to bookguys.ca slash thinkgeek and uh, click over to thinkgeek and you'll get a special deal for the Time Traveler's Handbook. Uh, basically what this is, is uh, you keep it, keep it in your knapsack. If your time machine should ever go awry and you end up in, I don't know, ancient Greece, let's say, if you're staring at the Athenian fleet live in person uh, and you want to know, uh, what should I do? Uh, how should I dress? How should I act? There's a chapter for that. If you find that you're, you find yourself in the middle of uh, London, the 1800s, there's a chapter for that. Just a quick, it's kind of, you can read it uh, in, you know, a minute or two, establish where you are, what you should say, what you shouldn't say, what to eat, what not to eat. It doesn't get into like, you know, which restaurant to visit, you know, it's not the, uh, the four square of its time, but uh, it is an interesting little sort of glance over history uh, under the premise that uh, it is for time travelers just in case they end up in a certain period. <laughs> it's, it's interesting. It's a really cool little book, and it's only $8.99. That's a real hardcover right there. And you can get that from bookguys.ca slash thinkgeek. And that's this week's. The Think Geek Item of the Week from thinkgeek.com Uh, figures Skype drops Greg just as book news starts. I think Bill Gates got his finger on the button. I think he has something against us. Uh, first news is that Apple and five large book publishers could be hit very soon is from Thursday's news uh, with a lawsuit over their alleged teaming up to raise the price of ebooks. And uh, we're on that story, and I'm going to be writing a full. Um, story on that one for the site soon. Have you guys heard anything about this? No, not a word. So, you know uh, what they're? I mean, what's the what's the evidence here? Wait. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what the evidence is, but uh, this lawsuit is coming from uh, the 
the DOJ, Department of Justice, I believe. And uh, they are looking into uh, finding all the evidence where all these book, major book publishers, uh, most of them are online colluding together to raise the price of ebooks. Because we do know that when ebooks first came out, a lot of the independent authors were pricing at 99 cents and whatnot. And now a lot of these larger stores are have some kind of penalty where if you do, or well, they kind of reverse it. They don't penalize you for putting it at 99 cents, but they'll reward you for putting a larger price on your book. And uh, they're saying that this could have been uh, uh, a scheme that they all work together. And like I said, we're still working on the story and uh, we'll post a couple links at the site soon. And uh, so, okay. they're, so basically they're accusing them of colluding for price fixing. That's correct. Okay. Which, which is not always illegal. But uh, more often than not, is illegal. <laughs> uh, we were talking last week about the ginormous fail, and, and, and not only that, I've, I'm inventing a word right now: uh, the spectaclism that is Pottermore. Yay, Pottermore! Yes, everyone's favorite <laughs> ebook distribution mechanism. Uh, uh, the word is Sony will have this ready in April, and we heard that before. I think it might have been last April. Not sure. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Is 2011, right? Isn't that what they? Uh... <laughs> so you know, of course, this is the the platform that uh, you know uh, J.K. Rowling is going to use to sell exclusively her Harry Potter series on, uh, and uh, the, you know they had the the problem with the beta users uh, basically uh, telling them that the you know the the platform was basically failing. It was. Uh, they didn't have enough bandwidth and whatnot, so they, you know, they, I think they've they've done a back-end change, so they've changed all the technology on the back-end, and that's what's taken so long. So many, many, many months later, it is going to be online. And um, and in the first article I was reading, they said that, uh, you know, they've, they've gotten, Sony's gotten so much incredibly useful feedback from beta users. I said, okay, so uh, I decided to, um, I decided to, to look into that. So I looked into all the useful feedback that all these users were supposedly uh, doing, like giving. <laughs> Looking just a cursory glance online, the, the majority of these beta users that I've, I've posted online, I guess, uh, I'm, I'm guessing there's a, a non-disclosure agreement, but some of these people are using names like, you know, Batman and Robin and posting online saying that in less than two weeks, they burned through all the content on Pottermore and basically wouldn't go back. And, and as you know, someone like uh, Blizzard Entertainment knows, it takes millions and millions of dollars to, for the upkeep on something like World of Warcraft, where you have to keep providing new content, new graphics every month. I mean, they've got a whole team of writers. Like they're writing a, a Pottermore, uh, sorry, a Harry Potter novel every month, just at the World of Warcraft, just in little, you know, uh, conversations that the little virtual characters have with each other. Like they're writing a novel a year at least, you know, and uh, they're saying that the burn you burn through the Pottermore content in less than two weeks if you hit it hard. So I, I don't know. Again, spectaclism, a spectacular cataclysm, of fail this thing's going to be. <laughs> yeah, but I think we knew that when it was first announced. So it's not. I mean, <laughs> yeah. is this really news? It's you know. Yeah. Well, we the, the news portion of all this is that they're claiming April. So for those of <laughs> you who have not been able to buy your child a Harry Potter book, uh, at least in the digital world, maybe April, if you're lucky. Good stuff. Comic books, comic books, comic books. Just a quickie here, folks. Uh, speaking of spectaclism, uh, many years ago, DC rebooted uh, 
their stuff, r- removing the what DC did was they would split up their universe and have an Earth One, Earth Two, Earth Three, Earth Four, so they could have their characters die off and do different things, and depending on which dimension, which universe they're in, they could do that and have these wacky stories. And it was just became confusing for for readers, and uh, you know they, they got rid of that. But apparently, they've decided to bring back Earth Two. <laughs> so, not a good idea, DC. It was a spectacular fail. They're doing it again, and the properties of Doctor Who and Star Trek coming together soon in a comic book coming out in May, a comic book series, uh, eight parts, uh, where the Star Trek antagonists the Borg and the Doctor Who Cybermen who I believe were just an earlier incarnation of the Borg (laughs) are getting together against the Doctor and uh, the crew of uh, Captain Picard's Starship Enterprise so there you go nerds around the world rejoice (laughs) nerds unite uh, spectaclism.com has been taken (laughs) and I noticed (laughs) just now (laughs) And it points to free hollow books, right? It should, but uh, <laughs> it's, it's some guy named Jamie Lyons, and his uh, webpage is, is kind of not loading up here, but uh, some of it says theater, film, galleries. Maybe it's somebody we need to bring into the show. Yeah. And, you know, I'm just looking over at the uh, the Skype window here on the other PC, and uh, I see a, a fourth smiling face has joined us. Hello, Cassandra. Hi, everyone. How you doing? I'm doing really good. I would have been here sooner, but I got the time zones mixed up. Uh, Welcome. (laughs) Welcome to the future. Thank you. (laughs) Welcome. (laughs) Well, Sir Jimmy did the same thing earlier. He was in his garden and uh, he joined us for the podcast eventually. (laughs) That was the other podcast. But how how was Cassandra today? Uh, Everything's going really well here. Um, I've been trying to get some reading in, but it hasn't worked. I've been blogging all day. Uh. Um, but I'm looking forward to reading a, a new book called The Book of Jonas. I need to get that done sometime this week. And Cassandra, tell the people where they can uh, read your blog. Yes, I blog at IndieReaderHouston.com. Um, and I it's not really that specific to Houston, but I do try to get as many um, area local authors and the local bookstores and the book events and everything featured as much as I can. Um, I also write for Book Riot, which is a relatively new site. We opened in October. Um, that's based kind of out of Brooklyn, but incorporates people from all over the country and the world. Even we have a writer who's based in Scotland. So I'm there a couple times a week as well. Nice. Uh, why don't you send me some links and I'll put them up uh, at bookguys.ca as well. I will do that. And uh, I have a little bit of uh, blogging news myself. I'll be as soon as the doctorwho.com uh, revamps their site, they're, they're upgrading their site to a new format. Uh, I'm going to be doing some guest blogging there as well. So that way I can get my my Doctor Who um, fandom out of the way so that I, I don't talk about it on the Book Guys show. And I know you guys with it. <laughs> now, Cassandra, did you, uh, we, we have a, still have a couple minutes left. Did you want to talk about your book or do you want to save it for next week? We can always... Uh... Um, you know, the, I, when you asked me earlier if I had a book to talk about, the one that kind of popped into my head was one I'm listening to right now. Um, the way I'm kind of dealing with the Tournament of Books um, entries, are you guys familiar with the Tournament of Books? Uh, no, please. Tell us about it. There is a site called The Morning News, which runs um, a tournament of books every year as the book world's way of dealing with March Madness. And they put together a bracket. They have judges. They pit books against each other, and they progress along in the tournament. And um, I had, when the books were announced, I'd only read one title. 
Um, I'm trying to find a link that I can share. Uh, when the books were announced, I only read one title, so I got a bunch of the um, audios to download and have been trying to catch up with them that way. And the book that's really stuck with me is the one I'm, I'm listening to right now. I'm just at the very end, and it's called The Devil All the Time by Donald Ray Pollock. Okay. And the reason it sticks out, um, it's the morningnews.org is the site. Um, we'll find some of the book, uh, Tournament of Books news. But the reason it sticks out to me is because it's kind of set in um, rural West Virginia, um, Ohio, kind of right there along the border in the 60s, like the late 50s, early 60s. And that's when my dad was growing up in that area. And it's a really dark book. It's got lots of violence in it. It's it's funny, but in a dark, twisted way. Um, And I know that some people read it and were offended by some of the things that happened. Some people thought the violence didn't go far enough. And I'm reading it thinking, gee, I wish this was a book my dad could read with me. Because these are the stories that he told me. Apparently, um, that part of the world is a dark and twisted scary place or it was back then all right now i gotta interrupt this is sir jimmy here okay i grew up in west virginia on the ohio river in the very area that you are speaking of my dad is from a little town called ranger (laughs) oh my goodness (laughs) a little tiny town called ranger and my entire family lives in that little holler back there um to this day actually (laughs) all right so I spent a lot of time back there myself. It just um, I was relatively young at the time, so I didn't get to see all the stuff that he told me about later. And I'm in the background frantically trying to find my West Virginia music, but I can't find the jingle. <laughs> can't find the jingle. See, I grew up in Tennessee, so it's a little removed from my area. I'm from like the mountains of Tennessee. Um, I live in Houston now, but it's just a really weird book, and it makes me kind of think about my family and everything in a way that – I'm not used to books making me do. So um, this is one that, you know, in the great debate about reviews versus responses, I would have to write a response rather than a review because it's like too personal. Right. Okay. Now, uh, now, what's is that the, the the site you gave us the the URL? Is that where you would see the uh, the brackets? We'll call them for the books. Um, let's see, morningnews.org. Let me think if I can figure out a better site for you. Um, morningdews.org slash article slash here comes the rooster. That's here dash comes dash the rooster. Yeah, the rooster. Each word separated with the dash. Um, let me see if I can figure out how to get there straight from the morning news. Okay. Actually, at the top of the morning news site, there's a link that says the opening round of the 2012 Tournament of Books, and there's a little rooster up there. Um, it says continues with lightning rods versus salvage the bones. Right, right. Yeah, if you can go from there, you'll get back to, um, if you follow that link, the first link there will be viewed 2012 brackets, and you can kind of see it all kind of, it drops down, and you can see how everything. All right, um, you know, we're going to put a link in the show notes so everyone can just sort of click over onto on the podcast, and uh, they can take a look. Yeah, the first round um, was between The Devil All the Time, the book I'm talking about, and The Sense of an Ending, judged by Emma Straub. And she chose the sense of an ending as the winner, and I think that that was a total mistake. Now, if you were a betting woman. Yes. <laughs> Sir Jimmy, you with me here? I'm with you. <laughs> Where would you put your – which square would you put your money on? 
Well, see, here is my problem, and that's that I haven't read enough of these books. If right, I had right. to go based on the reviews I've read and the reputation amongst other bloggers and people whose opinions I trust. Well, I, I can see where this would encourage you to read more of the books on, on the on the board just to, you know, you'd be looking at it and going, well, who's going to beat who? And, well, I haven't read that one. I might as well try that out. And, you know, as right. long as they're not all, you know, long, they're not, you know, tomes like 11, 22, 63, you know, you could probably. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> No, coming into it, the only one I had read is The Last Brother, which um, you see is down there under the, it's the third round. Um, But it's against 1Q84, and I don't even know how to begin to compare uh, Natasha Apana to to Murakami. That that one's blowing my mind a little bit. That one's going to be a hard one to judge. Yeah, so send us a link. We'll put a link up in the show notes. Uh, I'm just going to remind everyone that uh, within a, a couple of days of each episode uh, ending, uh, protranscript.com uh, will transcribe our shows for the hearing impaired. And, and folks, it's not just for the hearing impaired, although that is great that the, the hearing impaired now can only read our site, but they can also read our show. Uh, it's also great for, for you as a podcast host or as someone producing video uh, to have uh, the ability for Google to uh, take a look through your website and actually uh, find conversations that you've had on your shows or on your videos. Your could be your company video, anything like that. And uh, Nancy Nagel, Cassandra Nice, Jim Phillips, Sir Jimmy. I hope you all will come back next week and uh, join us again. I'll be here. I will do Thanks, that. Paul. You bet. And I think we're gonna have a special guest next year, uh, next week. Could be uh, <laughs> Sir Jeff Smith might be joining us. By the way, Sir Jimmy, I got my ring. It's the wrong size. Oh, well, we'll hammer that out. <laughs> it's a brass with the rhodium plating, so I have to return it. Oh, boy. <laughs> Inside joke here, folks. Inside story. What do you, ex- what do you expect for a thousand bucks? <laughs> well, folks, thank you for joining. We'll see you next week. Same book time. Same book yeah. channel. Stay tuned, book readers and book listeners. Paul the Book Guy will be back next week. Same book time same book channel.